0: There's a passion I have for something. And this is in particular, maybe for software, but I have a passion for something and that passion has gotten so big, it's getting stopped by something that's in my way. And so I'm going to create an innovation to stop that that blockage. I don't want that there anymore. Carrie,
1: uh, I'm so excited to, have, to talk with you uh, because we, it's been a while that we haven't sat down together and I'm looking forward to the conversation. We always have great conversations. Yeah. So, I mean. How the heck are you?
0: Oh, awesome. Things are, I mean, obviously we've had a crazy last year, all of us, uh, but for us, I don't know
1: what you're talking about. What was crazy? <laughs> I know. What, what was 2020? What was that all about?
0: Um, I think that uh, in Jilt-Tipping things always been uh, leading forward with this idea, but you know, don't waste the crisis. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that in all of these difficult times, we've had growth in every single area of what we've done. So uh, at UBC, Uh, and one of the things that I think that this environment has forced us to do is to really understand uh, digital and, and how we can actually deliver our programs in a way that that is truly meaningful but also gets way more people involved so lots and lots more people from the external community are now interested in in taking part because they don't have to drive out to point gray Mm. so it's been this massive change for us that actually will probably be a mark in the sand where it's like and then we got better so i don't know it's a it's it's a mixed bag it's been difficult and challenging but it's also really exciting and awesome to be part of this innovation of you know what how do we do this differently
1: That's awesome. So, why don't you kind of explain what you're doing now and how you got there?
0: Oh, sure. So, I'm the managing director at entrepreneurship at UBC. That's an initiative that specifically moves innovation out of the university into companies. So, we pull companies from uh, student ideas, from research that's being done in the university. Um, And these are often really, really interesting ventures that are coming from a place of looking at problems in a different way. So you get really disruptive ideas as a result. Mm. Um, and, it's, and it's super exciting to see people not only building companies and the innovation in a different way, but uh, also just, I don't know, the the leadership that's coming out of it is really exciting as well. It's very, it's, it's inspirational to work with them. Uh, how I got there is really interesting. <laughs> so 20 years ago, actually, gosh, even longer than that now, in the late 90s, I started in uh, e-commerce. So I was in, this is the dot-com boom days, which is so funny because when you talk to people in the university, a lot of them don't even remember those days because they weren't even, some of them exactly. weren't even, yeah. <laughs> so um, the dot-com days were really heady. It was a time of lots of capital flowing and we were, my husband and I at the time we were in a company that was an e-commerce company and it was big. We had 200 people in Seattle and in Vancouver and at the same time so we had lots of, of capital flowing and was really interesting because we were about to IPO and at that time we had financial people walking through our halls and talking to us about what we needed to do with our wealth and how we needed to structure it and getting us into all these different you know capital mechanisms and whatnot and and as we all know this story doesn't end well <laughs> so I think it was in oh, 2000 no the IPO delayed for three months because the market wasn't quite wide, right? And then it delayed again for three months. And at the same time, we had been building our own company. This is a company that was to solve the problem of what we now know is SaaS, but it was to solve the problem of, you know, how do we have these really expensive office programs that you need like Visio, which at the time was many hundreds of dollars. How do you split this out into smaller segments so that people can afford it on a short-term basis? And so we had ex-Microsoft people in there. We were doing some really cool stuff. We had our prototype done. We were at the point where it was ready for investment to come in and just really take us and, and run. And all these things came in the same time. Company goes down or the, the big company goes down. So we all lost our jobs over Christmas. Nobody knew it was coming. Just came back from the break and they're like sold that company for a penny, you're all gone. Um wow. and of course we didn't have the capital then to raise for our company. So that went down as well. So it's really funny. I started in this failure atmosphere where it was like, okay, startup is hard. <laughs> it doesn't always work out, even with the one that's supposed to work and the one that you know we knew was a, a loonshot. Um so the next I don't know, 10 years or so, maybe yeah, probably about 10 years, I spent uh in a different atmosphere. So I started our family, um, you know, had a couple of kids. And I have a really active mind, so I needed to keep going. And The ultimate startup. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, it's funny because a lot of women have a similar story to this. Uh, when I was uh, with my little kids, after you know they started to get a little bit older, when they're in their toddler years, um, I just was I needed something to to keep that innovation going. Where it was like, what you know, what is the box, and how can we get outside of it? So I ended up doing things that I could, I created opportunities that I could run businesses from home. And so this could, one of them was a coaching business where I would uh, fly over Western Canada and coach groups. Um, another one was a, a direct sales organization that I was a part of and built a team of 120 people and 600 customers um, because it fit with the box that I was given. I had a box of, I wanted to be a primary caregiver. I wanted to be the mom. And so my kids were part of the, those businesses. They were coming in and out. I have uh, people, I coached or directed uh, chorus and my baby would sit on my back as I would direct. And, so, and lots of people have those memories of, mm-hmm. I remember when you to direct and you had babies. So that's a very typical female entrepreneur type story. Um, and then when they got into the school years, it was like, no, I gotta get back into this. So another e-commerce company came, uh, built that up. And then that one I left in two thousand. 15 or 16, and uh, decided to take what we call the entrepreneurial recovery period, a bit of a break from that, and in that break, I uh, did some executive consulting, or executive search consulting, so jumped in to help build executive teams for, for tech companies, did that for a couple of years, and then jumped over to EBC as an EIR, and that was a few years ago, and now I'm the managing director, so that's that my story. Awesome. <laughs>
1: that's awesome thanks for sharing that it's it's very very interesting yeah when you meet people right now and you tell them there was a time when the internet was not a thing you know (laughs) didn't exist and people like can't comprehend like do you mean like i can't ask google something you're on your own really so uh so it's very very interesting when when you're talking about that that journey of uh that's very unique from different things that you try to do to fit with what your challenges are in real life. Um, Were were you in a place where you helped others also do that? And what were some of the similarities or the differences that you noticed?
0: Oh, yeah. So... Especially in coaching, so I was in, in music. That was another passion of mine. And one of the downsides of being an entrepreneur is that everything that's a hobby becomes a business. Like there's just it's never <laughs> <laughs> so. My hobby oh
1: my is- God! You're describing. Don't say it out loud. People will dis- <laughs> will discover our secret.
0: I <laughs> know, I know, and it's not that's not necessarily a good thing. but That's a different topic. Um, and I think so. I was an um, I was a singer, and I was in different choral groups and this is again in the same about the same time as the dot-com era and I got into coaching different groups and what's interesting with singing is that you know there's that the skill set of singing there's the thing of you know I'm producing my voice and I'm going to do that better and better and get a better product but when you're talking about working with groups in particular as well as individuals there is a place where skill doesn't get you anywhere anymore and so one of the most common situations that and where my sweet spot ended up being was when groups had been working at this you know for maybe 20 years, 30 years, and they gotten really, really good. like they were acknowledged this is a really good group, but they just couldn't get any higher. They couldn't get any farther. And at that point it's not actually about skill development or it, it is, but it's not the focus. You actually have to unhook something first and back up and then take a different path to un- unhook you to be able to go to more of an exceptional place. So my specialty was in helping them to figure out what was in the way and the perceived notions that they had around that. And it's funny because you're right. It's the same thing. Here's the box. So that's established. And you can keep looking at the box and saying, I can't get out of it. Or you can change the way you see the box and say, okay, so that's the box. What are we going to do about it? And I think that's the whole thing around entrepreneurship is it's a fearlessness when you look at the box and not just a fearlessness, but there's no need to rail against it. It's like, fine, that's the box. I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to change the box. I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do around it so that I can keep going farther. Hmm.
1: That's so interesting, the, the, the way you're looking at entrepreneurial skills, because I have a, I mean, one of the things that I have a vision for is that entrepreneur, entrepreneurship as a skill is something that when learned can help everywhere. In, in, in what you're doing you had a chance to work in many different now you're working where you're helping entrepreneurs but it's still work right how do you see entrepreneurship skills helping you navigate a job and have you seen other entrepreneurs use this to navigate life or a job do you agree to that kind of
0: premise? oh yeah absolutely so I think that what so I mean my passion is really around ecosystem development the reason that I'm uh, doing what I do is that I've, I have a vision for where I think our BC ecosystem can go with regards to innovation and I think it's the same problem I think that we've hit a particular ceiling and that we need to unhook some things to get past that so when we're talking about um, helping innovators to get to the next place that they need to go it's not that dissimilar there's there's boxes that innovators put or or entrepreneurs put around how they need to build their company or what their fears are. And they're usually fear-based, you know, it's, um, I don't want to do this. I don't want to give, I don't want to have any investors in my company and grow it in that way because I'm afraid they're going to take my company. And so maybe that's, maybe that's valid. That could be the case for whatever it is. But the question is, how are you approaching that? Are you approaching that with an emotional fear? Are you approaching that because you've really logically thought of all the different opportunity costs, put them all on the table and said, I choose this type of company because I don't want that other type and it's not my vision. So what is my eventual vision? And then how am I going to backtrack that to get to that eventual vision? So I think that there's, that's the part where it's the individual help with innovators and and entrepreneurs is let's get you really thinking about what your goals are. And that might also look like, you know, as you start to team build, as we all know, the first hires, it's kind of hard, right? So what often happens historically is, or maybe it happens everywhere in the world, but is, you know, I built my company. It's mine. I have the whole vision of where it needs to go. I need to hire my next person. I'm going to hire this, this person over here who's going to do this small part of my company because that's the part I hate. And it's, you know, it's not that important. And they hired this level. But I think that if you change the way you think about that and you say, what is it that you get a little bit of introspection as a leader? And you say, what am I actually exceptional at? Like, what is my secret sauce? What, what do, And what do I believe around that? And what do I What am I not as awesome at and what would it be awesome if I had a a partner in that who could do those pieces and was equally as passionate about that or more so than I am about this part. So this idea of really knowing yourself first and then figuring out where your own box is and then building around that and actually, you know, this is, I mean, we've heard this statement before, hire better than yourself. but really truly embrace that you're building and developing these teams that are just phenomenal so i so i guess in a nutshell it's this idea of looking at the innovators that are in the pipeline helping them to have that self-awareness helping them to unlock their own gates but then letting them take that forward because Mm -hmm. they've, they've got their own perspective now that's that's big enough
1: and as someone who's interested right now in the ecosystem development what is different about that and uh, what are the, what are the challenges that you're facing as because ecosystem development is a is a is a massive task, right? And yeah. you're interested in it. Uh, what do you what are you seeing? What are you, what are interests, and in? what are the challenges?
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple of big areas in here, and I'm not always going to be like some of these are things that I don't excel in, but I know people who do, so it's really exciting to watch them go. And I'd say one of these areas would be one that you actually excel in. Uh, the first thing I notice is that. Vancouver can be seen as kind of a cold place, not physically cold, but just, you know, are we a community? Do we really feel like a community mm-hmm. when people come into our system? Is there a place for them to belong right off the bat? And there's certainly a lot of initiatives that try to make that the case, but I would argue that we haven't yet as an ecosystem developed a co-creative space. We haven't developed that sense of we are, we are collaborators as opposed to competitors uh, on, a, on a more ecosystem level scale. And so to me, one of the biggest opportunities we have in this moment is how do we cross that bridge into having an atmosphere where, you know what, you just came into our system, immediately you're gonna feel warm and embraced and there's gonna be people that, that will become your tribe right off the bat. Like how do we create that atmosphere as an ecosystem where um, even as a, as a doing what I do, which is kind of cool, this translation from the university, it's kind of a unique thing. There's not really any other groups that truly live in that translation spot where it's messy and ugly and there's no investability yet. It's just crazy early stuff. It's still hard because you still feel like you're comp- competing and maybe you feel like you're competing against Main Street and the development of the innovation uh, ecosystem within that world, which is ridiculous because they're both really important things. So I think that as an ecosystem, we have to shake this off and start seeing innovation overall in its many facets and then truly embrace it and say, hey, let's work together and a little bit of what I do can help a little bit of what you do and let's keep having conversations mm-hmm. that are that are really about developing those synergies. So that's something I think that you do uh, quite well is that you, you've got this little underground movement where you start to connect people together and we need more people like you to do that. <laughs> Thank so you. That, that's number one. Then number two, I would say, I don't think we fully understand the end-to-end innovation pipeline. So going back to that idea that there's a lot of facets for how we develop um, innovation in our ecosystem, especially around, and maybe it's because I'm living in this space right now, but when we look at the translation part, the, this part where we've got a lot of nascent um, opportunities that aren't necessarily obviously going to become companies or that can affect our economic development, In other ecosystems, this is baked into the way that they look at their innovation pipeline and they've got, you know, government support and they've got industry support that says we get this, we're going to help this along and make sure it doesn't die. In our ecosystem, we still have a gap in that spot. And so from my perspective, as I look at this, when I started diving in, I'm like, that's funny. We have, we actually have a really, it's small, but it's really important, this gap. And I started thinking about it and I was like, well, why, why do we have that gap? And as I dove in, what I could see was this siloed approach to our innovation pipeline and our innovation ecosystem. And so each of these important groups that are championing the thing that's important to them get in, they get a bit of attention, they get a little program put in place, and then it gets solved. But it's not tied together. It doesn't have this overall vision that says, this is who we are, and here's all these important pieces that make this beautiful. And we're going to keep pulling all these people together in a co-creative sense where they're not trying to compete against each other to get funding for the piece that's, that they feel is important or that the biggest gap is, but instead they're collaborating and co-creating together to create what we want the ecosystem to look like. And it's not to say that it's a, we're in an awful place I and mean, we actually have a lot of really interesting opportunities for conversation that happen, but I think there's an opportunity to level this up. And so challenge-wise, I guess I'm kind of a crazy, one of those crazy mad people that's coming in and saying, I know it's good, But couldn't it be even more exceptional? Couldn't it be just bigger than it is today? And that's, so that's the challenge is how do I not get so crazy that people turn off and go, okay, so she's nuts. (laughs) And instead say, no, actually, I think I see where you're going. Let's let's get on this train. Yeah.
1: Nuts is good. I, I like, I like working, like looking at something and kind of what I'm hearing, what you're saying is that looking at it differently and it's. It's, it is something I always wanted to ask is that you meet people and, and is there is there a complacency in, this probably a question that will get you in trouble, is there a complacency in the uh, Canadian entrepreneurship uh, ecosystem, maybe more like NBC, I don't know if, if that's across Canada, compared to the American uh, ecosystem. You've, you've probably, you're talking about the innovation from end to end, and you're saying, People are working on certain elements, but sometimes I hear all over the place, oh, our, 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 our entrepreneurs are not, you know, uh, create, you know, or big, they don't think big enough or they push themselves. Like I'm seeing entrepreneurs that are building awesome stuff. Yeah. What do you see from your perspective that is, let's say, significant issues uh, that, that, that people may miss or don't know from looking at, don't know, not knowing the ecosystem?
0: Yeah, so super interesting because I think, so I remember when I was in my last company, I went down to the Valley for, it was the, I can't remember the name of the program, but it's this C100 female founder program where they take 15 founders from across Canada. And we went down and we had a few days of programming, but what was really interesting was being part of the culture down there. And I don't want to elevate Silicon Valley to say, this is the, the end all beyond, all, this is what we should all be, because that's not, I don't think that that's true either. But what I found really interesting was the immediate sense of community. This immediate sense of okay, what are you working on? What are what you know? What is this? Like if I had slipped my company in there, I would have felt like I had a home right off the bat, just because they're in this place of we're all innovating, we're all co-creating, let's move forward. So there is a speed in that innovation ecosystem that does not feel or look like anything that we have here, and that's really compelling because you can feel the energy of moving forward. You know that the it's like as soon as you're talking about your your creation you've got somebody over here talking about a creation that's kind of like it, and maybe 10 times faster, and you immediately have this sense of competition where I've got to pick up the pace because they're right there. Here, we don't have that, that same sense of Bob two doors down, or, or just, you know Sherry have innovation that looks a little bit like mine, so I feel like I'm inspired that I have to move faster. So that's, that is the downside is that I think that the world continues on and we should be looking from a world point of view at what they're working on and we're not feeling the, the um, intensity and the speed of that. And on the flip side of it is that, and this is what I think one of the values of that is, is that sometimes we can build solutions that are a little bit more thought out, a little bit more, um, I think more um, maybe socially sensitive, more, mm-hmm baked deeply because we have a little bit of that space that we've created. And so there's something special that comes out of the companies that we form here as well. There's something really unique. And sometimes those ideas are disrupted in their own way because they're not getting sucked into this fast speed and they have a little bit more time to think. And so if I waved a magic wand, I wouldn't actually say, let's flip over and become the valley and speed everything up and get that intensity. I probably would go more that direction. Obviously, that's I'm saying that that's something I think we should do. Um, but I, I actually am somebody who believes that the choices that you make have both the, both sides of the coin. So there's a positive side and there's a negative side. And I wouldn't want to sacrifice the the very special part that we have that maybe is partly because we take a beat before we develop things and we actually try and do it right. So. So I think that. That sentiment is bang on. We need to have a worldview. We need to understand what else is going on in the market. And we need to be inspired by that and let that shape some of the solutions that we're creating, period. And yet I also think that we should keep some of the strength in the innovation itself and not lose that in the same breath.
1: As someone that you work right now with a lot of entrepreneurs, mainly, as I understand it, uh, coming out of university right so these are either university students current students or or maybe graduates is that, is that accurate to say
0: we work with students uh recent alumni so about five years or so okay uh faculty researchers uh anyone who's affiliated in
1: that way at the university. interesting so would tell me about the uh, the the idea process where do they where do they where do they start and what are some of the challenges that you saw uh, that they face when developing an idea and just the process from your perspective as an entrepreneur coming in and seeing is there anything different in a university setting uh are you noticing something yeah can you speak to that
0: Sure, sure. so um there's an author named who wrote something in this last year it was called shots this book he wrote um he's oh, a yeah, super interesting uh, guy. I haven't met him myself yet, but I uh, know a couple of people who have talked to him. But what I think is really interesting, now I'm going to say right off the top, he is looking at uh, the way that he architects ecosystems from the perspective of a physics person. So he's really interested in phase change and, and these other things. I took something different from his book when I read it. And that was around this idea that um, innovation ecosystems have kind of two different models of companies that you see. So one is what's called what's he called a So these are, um, they're solutions that are built on existing technology that can quickly hit the market and, you know, they're they're about the market change that can happen or solving a business solution. A lot of SaaS companies would fall inside that category. Mm -hmm. And then there's these product shots, which are the, it's the technology upon which these types of innovations are built. And so he has this really great model and I recommend anybody take a look at it. Uh, And when I read that book, I took a look at what was coming out of the university and I thought to myself, you know, that's really interesting because We have both, as a university, we see all types of businesses, everything from main street businesses to huge companies like the upsellers and the D-waves and these, you know, massive ideas that are changing the way we think about things in the world. And so how do we reconcile these two kinds of pipelines that we have? And what was interesting is we had already naturally kind of segmented out our own pipeline to match that. And then that book caused us to kind of shift that a little bit, but I think that when we look at those two pipelines, they feel very different as you look at them. And so when I look at the companies that are in what we call our core program, mm-hmm. these actually are exactly those strategy shots. The speed to market is completely different. It's all about how quickly you can get it out there. It's about meeting and networking it with as many people as you can. It is a very fast paced world. Those companies can be in and out of our program within a year and to something next the product companies are completely different. These are the ones that are coming out of research and, and usually have some sort of a heavy IP. Sometimes it doesn't always come out of research. Sometimes it comes out of student ideas where they made, they made something, they learned something in the programs that they were part of. Then they went and built something in their bathtub. We actually have a company that built something in the bathtub that actually up being this amazing water technology. Um, and I think that there's a very different rhythm and cadence inside of those types of companies. And there's a, this middle piece where we're developing proof of concept where we're really saying, okay, you, you have figured out how to make something that is that big. You've discovered a molecule and you can make it in a thimble size. Can you make it in a VAP size for industry? Can we actually make this a solution? That is a huge problem to solve. It's not just a matter of, okay, we'll just figure out the problems to scale it up. That molecule may not act the same way in this large environment as it does in a small environment. And so there's this technical de-risking that we have to do and this um, not only technical de-risking, but the market de-risking to say, we think that the industry is going to, you know, we know they have a problem. We know that it looks like this solution, but economically, is this gonna make sense and that they'll actually buy it? So we're doing all of these things at the same time. And it takes a couple of years sometimes to get that, to, to accelerate that through. So that's, that is some, that's the piece where I think that we as an ecosystem don't necessarily understand that these rhythms are slightly different because we tend to apply the software lens that says fast to market, get it going. And it isn't untrue. There, there is a time where that ends up becoming even more important, but it's a little more complicated as you actually dive in and see what does it take to actually massage and need these to get them out of that university setting.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on the, uh, any kind of, uh, the way I put it is science driven or health driven, uh, something that requires um, a discovery or an, an, an invention or an innovation in, in a science-driven environment usually doesn't move as, as this, at the speed you want it. It, it moves yeah. at the speed it wants. It's had, it has a mind of its own because it's really about the discovery. And even if you want, like you said, if you want to adapt your discovery to, to now something commercial, something that works for the market, the circumstances change, right? If you want to sh- shrink a device, for example, it doesn't operate as you want it because it, it adheres to, let's say, the laws of physics, not not your own laws or the laws of the market. It doesn't care about that. So, so it's very, very interesting to kind of look at that that way. And I, a lot of people don't understand that. And that's why... Uh, maybe a lot of those companies thrive in a university environment where it's like, you're more, you take your time doing research. You take your time. it's, It's known to have that heavy focus on that. So it's, it's interesting to have an incubator at the university kind of working on that. I think that's a model that a lot of universities are applying. How do you, you're someone who came from the business environment. What do you, what do you think you bring that, opens up something for those people who are used to the university environment, used to research. What do you bring that, uh, that helps them move forward?
0: Yeah, so I think that now I'm going to say me, not personally me. I'm going to say me as the representative of, you know, what does industry?
1: Yeah, exactly. That, that's what I mean. I mean, you as, as someone who's that's an entrepreneur, yeah, exactly. as an outsider, basically, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You're an outsider to the to the whole way of doing things. I think
0: things there's there. a couple of ways to answer that question. And the first would be about what disruption comes from. Mm-hmm. And so there's, I, I don't have it handy, but there's a model out there that talks about where disruption happens. And it has this little grass so those, of those folks who uh, will recall this graph. It's like a, it looks like an echo um, wave on, a, on an X and a Y axis. And what they've shown is that disruption comes when you have, very frequently when you have someone who is an incredibly deep knowledge expert in a field. So this is somebody who has been discovering x solution and has been working on that for 20 years and knows every every corner and angle of that thing and they are so knowledgeable about it that that path is very clear to them and someone with a naive voice that can share a language with them so they can speak they can have a conversation but they know nothing about that they're coming in from let's say industry and they're saying hey what are you working on that person goes oh it's this and it's that and it's just this beautiful wonderful thing and this naive voice comes in and says oh how come it does that oh, well, that's interesting. Could it do this? Well, I don't, I don't know. It could. I guess it could do that. I mean, I don't know why you want it to, but it could. Well, what if it solved this problem? When you thought about that? And that is disruption. It's that combination of, you know, deep, deep knowledge and expertise in a subject, so much so that there's, there isn't much, much left time-wise to look at other things. Naive voice comes in and says, I'm seeing this possibility that's completely off the wall and crazy. So that's the opportunity that we have in these translational um, types of organizations and universities, is that it's this co-creation moment where you can put these different people together. So our programs, uh, right out of the gate, when we're working with researchers, we're pairing them with industry and we're saying, have some conversations. And they're going and saying, okay, tell me again what you're doing? Holy smokes, that's amazing. Huh. And then here we go. Right. It's a different shift on it. And that starts from ground one. So that's one element of industry. From a company development perspective, I think it's quite obvious that taking a piece of a really incredible discovery and making that marketable, there's there's the RD and the, the product itself and the the part that's technical, and that's really, really important. And then actually making that something that can work in industry is a, is a completely different project and it, and it is equally labor intensive. And so what industry does when it looks at these things is, you know, those representatives come in and help, help the scientists work with them collaboratively to figure out what that looks like and that, to do that yourself and work on the science that, you know, these are, you're splitting your brain in a lot of different ways here. So <laughs> this is, what's really cool is that we have, I think 220 mentors from industry. These are senior executives in various, um, you know, large, large companies, as well as startup companies coming out pro bono, working with these scientists, working with our brand new innovators that are student inventions, sitting with them and taking tons of time and just saying, not just you know, sitting as an armchair person and saying, "Cool, you got a really cool company there. Good luck with that." You know, it's not that. It's actually them saying, "All right, I think I got this. Let's figure this out." And they roll up their sleeves, they sit down at the table, and then for months and sometimes years they build that company with them they and then they sometimes even jump in and leave those companies forward so industry and it's not industry coming in to save the day by any means it is industry and science and technology coming together and saying what can we co-create together and how do we think differently about the problems or articulate problems that one of us maybe even never thought of
1: yeah yeah very while you're talking all i could think about is that moment when steve jobs went to xerox and saw the mouse and the gra- and the graphic ui uh and is like and his mind went in a different direction and they had it like they had the in, in they basically they're the ones who invented this and, but it's Apple that, and Steve Jobs that actually had thought of, hey, you can use it this way, and this is where it can impact. Yeah. So these are definitely relate to those moments. And I think, uh, and I don't know what your thoughts on this, but I think we still stuck, some of us, uh, and at least a lot is, is that doing product was really hard a long time ago, right? Building anything was really hard. So it was the biggest problem. And right now, building a product is not that big. We have no code tools. <laughs> like anybody can, I mean, uh, obviously this is, this is not a, not a generalization, <laughs> but anybody can build a product, put it together and put it. I mean, the ease within which uh, t- 15 years ago when I built a website, just the first version of it cost me $30,000. Yeah. Now for $30, you can get a, you can get a template that is incredibly powerful and build a marketplace, like set it up in what couple of hours, even without knowing anything with a couple of videos. So it's insane, but before it was hard to build a product. So do you see still the the remnants of that? Because people worry about the product first, getting the product and they don't think about the market is it a human thing in your opinion or is it the uh, is it the remnants of that kind of difficulty staying in our minds even with lean startup come on i mean and all the popularization of you know just get something out there what do you see
0: oh well i think i mean I put myself back into the days where I created companies and why did I create a company in the first place? Like Mm. often it was because, I mean, and I noted this often comes out of hobbies, right. Or things that I enjoy doing. There's a passion I have for something. And this is in particular, maybe for software, but I have a passion for something. And that passion has gotten so big. It's getting stopped by something that's in my way. And so I'm going to create an innovation to stop that that blockage. I don't want that there anymore. And because I feel like I have agency to do that, it gives me the the strength to overcome it. The assumption I have is that everybody else experiences that problem in the same way. And so I think it makes a lot of sense that these problems that are these solutions that come are coming out of you know, people's conceptions of what the problem is to the world. Mm -hmm. So the question isn't one of empathy. The question is, can you then, once you have that idea, that's great. Like, let's start with that seed. Can we stop, not stop the process, but can we step to the side for a minute and do a validation? As we all know, the lead method teaches us this. Can we do a validation to check that this experience that we have is actually similar to everyone else? And more importantly, when we see that it's not because it won't be exactly the same, there's going to be a tweak to it in some way, or it's not even there. Are we able to have, to put our ego aside enough to say, even though this solves my problem, it doesn't solve the problem that's in the market or that problem doesn't exist. And that's, I think that's the nut of it is how do we actually get people to feel comfortable enough that that's not a failure, right? My, the the now the product, the first product that I had, I don't know if it would have like, I'm thinking back to Sliceware, I don't know if that would have been the way that the market went. I mean, obviously SaaS was right on the heels of that. and so the question would have been is as soon as we got to, to really start to do a lot more customer discovery, it wasn't a thing back then, but let's say that it was. Um, and I found out, hey, actually, people actually want to, so we were thinking about doing rental by the minute in some ways, but the world went a different direction. Would I have been, would I have been able to say, even though this is solving the problem that I see and I wanna, I wanna make that happen, I'm hearing there's this other solution that everybody really actually likes quite a bit more than that. <laughs> would I have <laughs> had the maturity at that stage? To be able to say, meh, all right, that's not the one. Let's figure out something else. Now, today, I'd have absolutely no problem with that. I don't, I'm don't. i not hooked to one particular solution that I come up with. No matter how awesome the idea is, I think I have. I don't, I don't need to be addicted to that idea. I'm addicted to solving things. Absolutely. So I think this comes back to culture. How do we, as an ecosystem ourselves, how, what kind of culture do we want to breed? If we make the culture about failure and success, if we put on founders that your worth is around whether or not your idea succeeded. And until you've proven yourself, we won't give you any time of day. We actually kind of push them into having to make their prop, their, their ideas succeed at whatever cost. And in some ways we're actually kind of not getting them to a place where we can get them to shake it free and say, eh, I don't think that's actually gonna be the solution. I think, there's a, I think we need to look at how we encourage our innovators in a way that says, You know what? You are the valuable one, like your thoughts and your ability to think this way. That's the value. I see that from the first step. So let's just get past that. I see you for who you are. I want to see more people like you. I'm here to help you get past that, you know, to to build more and more companies. So with that in mind, let's get past that. I respect you. You respect me. We're all good. Let's just play together. Now, you know, let's have some serious talks about this particular product that you put together. (laughs) I'm not sure this one's the one. Here's my Here's what it is. Do with it what you will. This is your company, but mm, <laughs> let's have that kind of conversation. And it's in creating that safety to begin with that actually creates more of that innovation mindset and that innovation mindset from an ecosystem perspective. That I would say, from a long term point of view, is going to create more shots on goal and is going to make people more um, more safe to be able to say, Yeah, actually, you're right. It's not. It's not the thing this time. But
1: I got this other idea. <laughs> <laughs> is it more difficult? That's so interesting. Is it is it more difficult with people who are science based, hmm. people who are because, as you said, there are these people who who have been in a in a in a um, kind of a, a, a field, and they're so entrenched into it, and maybe they're solving a problem for science or for research, but that problem is not that commercially viable, or maybe not all of it? And do you see a more of an attachment to, uh, because they've been in the field, I, I could relate to that if they are attached, but, but do you see that? And and if, if so, how do you, is it a different conversation than this one? I mm-hmm. mean, someone coming in with yeah. an idea, hey, you know what, I have this idea, I'm thinking of building this, might be probably easier to move them off of that. I mean, this is all assumptions. What do you see? Okay.
0: so. I think that it's the same conversation. It's not different, but you're right. It's more, think about the difference between I had an idea today that I can commercialize in 12 months. And if I break free of that, I'm gonna sacrifice a few months or a couple of years versus I've spent 20 years on this idea that has finally matured into a discovery that I can actually tell you, this is a big deal. And now I want to, I want to take this and have impact because that's why they do it. They want impact first. Mm. And you're saying it's not going to have impact. I know this thing matters though. It matters. So is, does impact is impact in, you know, the way that we're defining from an economic development perspective through company creation is that the only impact. So putting that aside, I think that that's one of the unique things that this program, and this, this predates me quite a bit. This this program started in 2013 and it started to have more of an, a really dug in emphasis on the science-based ventures in 2016. So this has been going for a while now, but I'd say that it, what I just described around how you approach scientific founders or any founders, that that is exactly what makes it collaborative so that they don't have to, so first of all, they don't have to feel like if this doesn't become a company, it, is, it represents a failure on your part to demonstrate impact. So that that conversation happens over a period of weeks in our incubation programs, um, and and largely uh, some amazing things happen there. But I think that the other part of this is that a lot of the discoveries that we see are what we call platform technologies, and this is different than platform technologies from a software perspective. So we'll just put software to the side for a second. Platform technologies um, are like I have this really cool discovery where I've created a material that is um, super bouncy and this material could have an application in aerospace or it could have an application in food science or it could have an application and there's all these different potential markets so we could create companies around each of those markets or we could create an entity that is a platform company that could create solutions for all those things like a 3M that's a sticky thing. Um, there's all these possibilities. And so even in delving into those possibilities as co-creators with those scientific founders, that's not saying, now you've got nothing and you are no longer of stature and importance. That's saying, I recognize and validate this amazing thing that you're doing. Let's see if it's got something. We've got lots of paths to explore. If it does, we're going to drive it forward as fast as we can and see if we can, you know, get it out there. And if not, that's cool what else you got going on and also let's keep in touch and let's uh, and we'll keep thinking about this on our end right so a, i think that the point here is that how we approach innovation is going to determine the success we have as an innovation ecosystem if we continue to make it about your are good or you're bad or you're black or white from a, a perspective of you fit into this success category you fit into this um, negative category you know you are an unsuccess we're going to continue having this kind of i don't know spotty kind of success. If we change the conversation to be about, look, let's define ourselves as innovators where let's define ourselves as problem solvers, the outcomes that's, you know, yes, let's get there. We want that, but let's do this together and let's just focus on what's in front of us and do what we can and build relationships. And as we're doing this, build the trust so that even if this one doesn't work out, it doesn't, it doesn't go down a bad path. It's just, eh, is what it is. Let's keep going. Cool. Cool. Nice to meet you. Really enjoy this. You know,
1: a great way of looking at it. Let's talk a little bit about failure. You, you're a founder that experienced failure early on in your in your entrepreneurial journey. And in, it sounds like in a spectacular way as well, because there, the promise was so big. Um, what do you think? I mean, failure is hard on any founder. And, and in current economic conditions, failure can mean, especially if you uh, kind of took your life savings to build a product, whatever, any kind of ways people make all kinds of mistakes and approach things in different ways. Um, how do you suggest dealing with failure and on an ecosystem level, what do we need to do to help entrepreneurs? And on a personal level, what are your recommendation for entrepreneurs from what you saw?
0: Well, don't don't invest your life savings in your company. Very good very
1: found. good advice.
0: I haven't done that myself. I have absolutely done that. It is so tempting as a founder to pour everything you have because you're so passionate about it. And, and from my perspective, it worked out okay, but I don't think that that's a smart way to do it. So hmm. just off the bat, keep your keep a small part of yourself separate from your company. And make sure yourself is protected through that company journey. Don't, because I think that the temptation as a founder is that the feeling of building a company is that it is part of you. It starts as part of you. It isn't a separate entity. It is, it's more than your baby. It's the, I'll say this from a female perspective. It's the sense of something you generate within yourself, like when you're pregnant. Mm. And then there's this birthing of the baby. And there's there's a lot of, um, of analogy that actually works really well for this. But the problem is that if you see it Too much from that perspective, then you start to make decisions that make it seem like the company is you, and you can put yourself into a threatened position for that, which means you don't get. If you're, if you're, um, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if your basic security level is threatened, you're not going to make good decisions, right? So you need to be able to make good decisions. So making sure yourself is always secure, you can make better decisions. So that's the first thought I'd have. And then I think. I think that this idea of where your company as an ecosystem, how do we make it so that failure isn't, there's this startup, I'm thinking back to like Silicon Valley, you know, they, they've got this motto fail faster and it's all about failure. And, you know, you can make that a really trite statement and it's just, it's a theme. We actually had, we've, I've had that on whiteboards for companies that I've been part of. I mean, I, I've gone down that path. But that's a very thin understanding of what that means, what they're actually doing or what they did down there was that they were trying to shift the culture to make it safe to fail. They're saying fail faster because they don't want people to to be afraid of the failure. They want them to, to aim big and to get disruptive, to truly push the envelope. So now we could we could talk about how that's backfired as well and how sometimes that push you know goes too far and then suddenly creates things that are that are can break economies, can break you know, cultures. So we'll leave that discussion for another day, but I think that the concept underneath that, that root of it's okay to fail, that's a, that is a growth mindset. And if we as innovators adopt that growth mindset, it's a completely different journey than if we have a fixed mindset where it's about the ego and about whether we succeed. So from an ecosystem perspective, if we want that kind of growth mindset, innovation ecosystem, where it's more shots on goal, more bold moves, more ability to go after the big wins. And right now we all know that's about impact. We have to nurture that environment not in a parental sense, but as a co-creation sense, we have to actually inspire that. So those of us who have walked those roads before have a real, um, in my opinion, we have a, a responsibility to not let the conversation become one that's very narrow about, did you succeed or did you fail? Your one shot that you did, was that one shot super, super successful? Because I got to say, the more interesting people to me in a lot of ways are the ones that had multiple failures and multiple successes. And they draw from the experience of all of those because they've they've experimented with the edge of their envelope, right? That's disruption. Disruption is always around what is the perimeter of our knowledge, right? What What is the very much, the most that we know right now? Let's play at that place. But if we make that place scary... And we say that your ego and yourself might be threatened by that. If you fail when you're there, what are we doing? We're telling them that you need to step back 10 feet, right? You need to, you need to actually remove yourself. Um, so my, my, if I could have one, um, uh, I don't know, call to action, it would be, let's play as, let's make a safe of an environment, to, safe as an environment to play as close to that edge of that envelope as possible. So that more people are playing there all the time. Cause it's also really fun
1: yeah it is fun uh, if we do it that way Uh, there is there is something on my mind which you which you mentioned and especially within that theme of making it safe um In general, women in, in in work and and they we still I, I remember attending We for She I think and I was shocked by the numbers that if things stay the way they are and I thought I thought I'm like, listen I'm in a first world country and and then I moved right now things are definitely better than where else it will take us 120 years to reach any mm-hmm. level of parity uh, and it's insane like I, I was I was genuinely shocked I thought like okay we're not <clears throat> we still have ways to go but. 20 years 120 years is insane when it comes to female founders is not easier and you can't simply uh, take let's say if you're taking a maternity leave in work you can take a maternity leave and we are lucky here in canada that there is uh, companies that are and there is regulations around that that supports women but when you're an entrepreneur uh, there's these challenges that come in maybe unique challenges with you being a female entrepreneur um and is there the understanding, are you seeing the, the kind of the mindset shift? There's been a lot of talk around working with female entrepreneurs and understanding their needs and, and removing the bias. Are you seeing that really impacting on and what are some of the different things they deal with from what you see?
0: Yeah, so I guess I, so that is a really important question and it's one of the details that need to be solved is the fact of uh, women, women do generate families. They tend to be the ones that nurture and build those families as well. So how do we continue that innovation pipeline when women are also building companies and they're also, they're, they're doing this simultaneously as building families. So I think that that is important to look at. It isn't the place that I think when I'm thinking of how to help female founders the most The most effectively in this moment it doesn't so I'm going to talk about something else but I'm not going to yeah
1: Yeah, go for it
0: important area Um, so the place that I tend to sit is how are we creating a system where female founders both get the resources they need and by resources I'm actually going to talk more about the um, the mentors, the the folks who are helping them, the, the investors, how, how are we as an ecosystem lifting them up? So everything we just talked about around how do we build safe environments for women, take your time too. So female entrepreneurs, and this is, I'm going to speak really broadly, there are outliers in every area. So Um, more power to all the women who do it in a different way. That's awesome too. But a lot of what I see is that women want to be collaborators. They're looking for people who will help them build something. They're actually highly coachable. They're very interested in hearing all the feedback, but one thing that really shuts them down the fastest is for somebody to come in and say, do it this way. It's the way I've already done it 10 times this way. I already know what I'm talking about. Just do it because I said to do it. And that is such a common way for advisors to come and work with women. And what I see over and over is that the strongest of the women who actually have a really strong vision for where they want to go, they say, well, why? Why do it that way? I don't I don't get what you mean. And there's this pushback of, I don't want to tell you why, I just want you to listen to what I say. And it, that's not because they're, I don't think that the advisors and the, we'll just call them advisors to put everybody in the category. I don't think they're doing it to push women down. And I don't think they're necessarily, I think they do that with a lot of people. It's not just women, but it's it doesn't work. It's just their style, but it doesn't work for women because women then say, great, another person telling me that I need to do something without understanding why, which is not collaborative to them. So it immediately creates this division. And I think that if you truly wanna work with women who are leading things in this way, whatever type of company that is, be it science or or SaaS, I think you have to understand that it is, to truly move the needle, you need to jump in. You need to actually sit with them and say, okay, so this is the way I've, I've done it. I really suggest that you take a look at this because it has value to it. What questions do you have? You know, where does this not sit for you? Have the conversation with them so that they can adopt it inside of their mental model and they understand why you're telling them what you are telling them. Not because they're supposed to respect your position or again, you know, massage your ego, but because instead you're actually sitting with them and saying, we're going to build something together. This is, I'm already on board. I'm part of your champion network. So let's sit and talk about some of these hard things that I see and what you're doing, but we'll do it together and we'll get an outcome. So if we were to change one thing, in my opinion, that unlocks everything because what we're really talking about is empathy. We're saying have the empathy for the different type of person you're dealing with. And inside that empathy, that, that kind of conversation, I think we start to develop the empathy for the other things that affect being a female founder. So then you can open the door for, oh, we have a problem, you, you're pregnant. Okay, we've got a problem. How are we gonna How are we gonna solve this problem for your company to make sure it doesn't it doesn't uh, set you back, mm-hmm. right? And, and then we have this more of an awareness of what the actual problems are and what the potential solutions would be.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's. That's really an important uh, kind of factor that people don't think about. I work with uh, you know you know my wife obviously, and we work together in running uh, running events, for example. And we brought our kids to the events, and yeah. we we wanted to we wanted them to be around us because it's hard to find a nanny, and like our minds will be there because especially with startup weekend events, it's a whole day event. Yeah. And we won't be completely present if our kids were not there. So we brought them, and she was the one leading the event. So I had to kind of be the person to make sure that these things are taken care of. And I think what I'm hearing, what you're saying is very, very true, is that the collaborative nature, and it's actually better. To a certain extent, do you agree that it's not because, uh, you know, man, woman, or stuff like that. It's because all of the systems that we are, are now working with have been built in a certain way because have been built without kind of having different people in the room. Just as simple as that. Yeah. I remember when sitting when sitting in, in, in meetings and in teams, when there's, uh, let's say a woman on the team, they will point out things that didn't even occur to me. Um, I was like, oh yeah. For example, one conference, and this is like a very simple example, a conference, I chose the people and I chose them based on expertise. And it didn't occur to me that everyone I chose was a man. And she said, well, we need to have some women on the on the speakers like, yeah, didn't even occur to me. And it's not like it's not wrong, right, all of that. But actually, you need representation. You need people to see themselves. And this is actually why I'm doing this series. I'm doing this series because I don't want people to hear from my experience as an entrepreneur. I want them to hear and relate to other people that they can see themselves in them. So I think that's really important. And that's what a little bit what I'm hearing and what you're saying. I think one of the things I want to probably uh, kind of maybe two questions or a couple to to add, to end on, uh, because this has been a great, great talk so far. Um, and on your journey to, to where you are right now, um, what would you count is the most challenging moment? And what was the, if there is one thing, obviously there are usually many things, but what is one thing that helped you really get out of it or overcome it?
0: You know, I think I would tell that story. Um, It's a story I'm probably going to be famous for, and it'll be the most embarrassing story to be famous for, but um, I'm going to talk about this from the way it, it changed the way I saw building my businesses. So this was the company I was in, in the early teens, the 20 teens. And we had a problem where we had to move uh, platforms. So we had to move like 500 um, the customer entities, 50,000 users from one uh, platform to another one. So we completely had to change their entire environment. We had a year to do this. We got near the end of that year and it was under the technical team's purview and it hadn't been done. Our customers weren't choosing to move. They were stuck on the old platform. But what happened was our, our, new, our old provider was gonna cut services in two months. So suddenly it became this urgent situation. So we had to compress 12 months into two months to get everybody moved over. And so I took over that, that entire initiative and basically to set, so this is the entrepreneur's way I looked at, it, I said, well, failure is not an option. We are not going to fail. So I will do anything I can do to make this succeed. And I think that most entrepreneurs will resonate with that and say, yep, that's the way you do it. Mm. And what happened during that time was I ended up working for two months. I brought my parents up to take care of my kids for that time. We, you know, like we were working crazy hours, but I was working 20 hour days, every day, seven days a week, 20 hour days. And so I was getting four hours of sleep and this lasted for two months. And in the second, and it was literally, I would watch each country <laughs> every hour, a country would wake up and then I get a flood of people contacting me and saying, well, okay, this is our transition day, blah, blah. blah. Um, and what happened was, in the second month, I started noticing that all, everything around me went gray. So my the colors that I normally were used was used to seeing, it was all like there was this gray shield over everything, and I was losing my color vision. And so I, I literally lost my color vision. Um, I mean, I maybe had like some sort of a muted ability there. Um, and it was because I was getting so little sleep because I was it was so important to me that we succeeded, and we did. I mean, to be fair, so yay, we succeeded. And for six months I didn't have color vision. It took six months for it to recover. Wow. So for me, the before that moment and the after that moment were two different things. So I had at that point, I'd had already 15 years of entrepreneurialism in various ways. And, And to be fair, that thread, that personal sacrifice to make whatever will happen happen was constant throughout. And then at that moment, I realized that as a leader, as a as you know, from my role as running the company. That was a, an opportunity cost that I was making that wasn't actually valuable. It wasn't as much value as I thought it was. So I guess that if I were, I, I think the moral of the story <laughs> is because it's tough. You know, you go back and you say, what would I do differently? Because I still wouldn't fail. I haven't, I haven't solved that. I still can't. I, I have an inability to fail in that way. I cannot do it. I need to do whatever it takes to make it succeed. So, But there's a different way. And I myself am still exploring that. And I think a lot of us who make that transition to, okay, what's next, what's above this, suddenly realize, you know, there probably are choices that we need to make that are more high leverage. And I think that 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 would be my moral is, again, look after your own house first, make sure it's safe, make sure that that everything's good, and then make choices outside that house rather than wrapping that whole, you know, your success and everything into yourself. So it's all related and you can't pull it apart anymore. Probably
1: a very female thing too. Yeah, that's uh, wow! It's fascinating. <laughs> like yeah. losing your like, I, w- I would be freaked out. <laughs> I, I I can relate to twenty hours work. And yeah, I think I think that's a that's a very very important thing. Where what are you sacrificing? What are you and 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 th- is it worth it? And so you need to balance out. And I love that you positioned it as a moment of leadership where how because you have a responsibility as well for your company. Mm-hmm. Um, What are you excited? I want to end on this. What are you excited for in the next few years? For yourself, for what you're doing, for entrepreneurs around you? uh, What excites you?
0: Well, I actually, for as much as I say, hey, call to action, we need to do these things. I actually see it happen. I think we're doing this as an an ecosystem. So Mm -hmm. to me, it's like, it's like uh, candy that it's all being thrown in. I'm seeing it over and over. I'm seeing other organizations making the same choices to to rise above, to co-collaborate as organizations instead of as silos. That in itself, the amount of, the difference from two years ago of all the different organizations that we have in our ecosystem, we're all trying to spur on innovation and build this new BC ecosystem. Um, Three years ago, that was, still feeling very competitive in a really nice friendly competitive way where it's like that's nice really enjoy what you're doing good job you know see you later and then now i say even in the last six months there's this sense of there's something bigger let's break beyond all of the construction that's been there up until now and let's figure out how do we work together and how do we interface and how do we look at the moments of synergy in the venn diagram that we all have there's many to get good brand new anchor companies that will drive jobs in our in our our province, it's gonna take many hands to get them there. I have no illusions that we are the end all you know, being when we take companies out of the university. We're not the only ones that will touch them. Our most important function is to get those companies to a place where the market forces themselves and their own momentum can magically come together and pull them forward. And that will mean other accelerators touch them, other innovators, other investors. Right, So knowing our own role in differentiation and then being able to get out of the other the way of other people, but have a really strong handoff where it's collaborative, that is exciting. And I mm-hmm. see it happening today. So ask me next year if it's still happening. <laughs> 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 if it is, we've done it. Right now, I see the early stages of it. That makes me super excited and makes me want to double down to make sure we continue that momentum.
1: That's awesome. Thank you, Carrie, for taking the time to uh, walk us through Uh, that amazing journey i really really enjoyed the conversation i'm sure people listening will will enjoy it so thank you for your time and thank you for uh, for all for all of the honest and and transparent sharing yeah
0: thanks so much it's
1: good to see you take care